You're listening to Common Threads, a podcast about ethical fashion, hosted by Ruth McGilp and Alice Cruikshank. We go beyond buzzwords and PR peddling interviews and instead dive deep into what really matters. Each week we break down the big issues, all with a little help from some amazing guests. Let's change the fashion game, one conversation at a time. Hello and welcome back to Common Threads. Before we dive in, just a quick note to say thank you so much for all of your love on Instagram lately. It's really like surprised us how much engagement we've got over there. It's really great to see all the likes and shares and comments. It just really means a lot to us and we love having a sort of two-way conversation with you. Yes, we really do. And speaking of conversations, today we have an interview with Fashion Revolution's co-founder and creative director, Ursula de Castro. This is an episode we have been so excited to bring to you for a while now and we're confident that you're going to find our chat with Ursula as insightful, educational and ultimately uplifting as we did. Yeah, it's a really exciting interview. We've got just a little bit of an intro to Fashion Revolution before we dive in. So Fashion Revolution is the organisation that was created by Ursula de Castro alongside Carrie Summers in 2013. It was launched in response to the Rana Plaza disaster, which I'm sure we've mentioned on this podcast before. And it was really about bringing people together to bring garment worker rights into the mainstream and really asking that question, who made my clothes? And that hashtag of who made my clothes started in 2014. And it's been one of the biggest drives in consumer activism around fashion. There's currently 750,000 posts under the hashtag on Instagram and more every single day. It's become a real global campaign with teams all around the world. Fashion Revolution Week happens every April and that's around the anniversary of the Rana Plaza disaster, both to remember what happened and to mobilise people to take action today, really raising awareness of both the social and environmental issues within the fashion industry. So the organisation now has teams in 92 different countries which run local events and campaigns. And I know this both because I've been volunteering with the Fashion Revolution Scotland team for many years. And there I sort of hosted events and panel discussions and fashion shows and workshops. And we also got involved with lobbying politicians to support the Scottish fashion sector and to regulate fast fashion. And then this year, this week, actually, I am officially joining the main Fashion Revolution team. So I'm their new content and communications manager, which I cannot wait to share more about. It's really exciting to be sharing this on the podcast as well. Woo! Yes, we are so proud of you, Ruth, and so excited to see what you're going to get up to next with Fashion Revolution. And Fashion Revolution, at its heart, is about activism, but it's also about knowledge. You might be familiar with FR's Transparency Index, which started out in 2016. I know that this document was really important in my own journey to embracing ethical fashion, and there really is nothing else out there that offers the same level of research into what fashion brands are actually doing, and what issues they are actively ignoring. And as well as the Transparency Index, on Fashion Revolution's website, you'll find other great research from the organisation, free online courses, educational resources, and lots of other great stuff for anyone wanting to dive in head first into the world of ethical fashion. Just a little note from us about how to support the show before we jump in. We run Common Threads on absolutely zero budget. We dedicate our own time and money as freelancers to keep the podcast as educational and engaging as possible for as many people as possible. We are independent creators with no additional help from editors, producers or promoters, and we don't have any brand advertisers to provide income. 
Help us keep the podcast free and ad-free for everyone by donating the cost of a cup of coffee to our Ko-fi account at ko-fi.com slash commonthreadspodcast. That's ko-fi.com slash commonthreadspodcast. It's now time to introduce you to our conversation with Ursula. Before Fashion Revolution, Ursula started out as a designer with a pioneering upcycling label from somewhere, which she launched in 1997 until 2014. She's just released a brand new book called Loved Clothes Last. That's a follow on from the Fashion Revolution zine of the same name that came out in 2017. The book was created to showcase how we can all mend, rewear, restyle our wardrobes and really achieve a more sustainable relationship with our clothes. In our chat, Ursula shares her own journey to a conscious wardrobe, what we can look forward to next from Fashion Revolution, and some practical advice about how we can all fall in love with our clothes again. This conversation does include some strong language. Hi Ursula, welcome to the podcast. Hi Ruth, hi Alice, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to chat with you. So I think it makes sense for us to start at the beginning. We would love to know your ethical fashion origin story. How did you become a fashion revolutionary? Hokey dokey. So when I did, the term ethical fashion wasn't even in existence, which is why I will never use it again. But um my journey becomes from creativity. So in 1997, I started my brand, which was called From Somewhere. And that in itself was the manifestation of years of clothes butchering that I'd been doing forever. I'm a maker, you know, I, I love to crochet and I've spent an, an inordinate amount of time when I was young, just, you know, adding things to my clothes or repairing them or fiddling with them to make them look different, to make them fit me better. And my brand was very much a kind of continuation of that. Uh, It started with myself and my then partner buying loads of old cashmere jumpers and crocheting around the holes and then reselling them in some of the world's top boutiques. And then I went from the cashmere jumpers to the, you know, 1940s, 50s and 60s housewife dresses and T-shirts and shirts and basically anything that was left and abandoned that I could bulk buy. And in this was 1997, 1998. And then in 2001, I did my very first um, London Fashion Week with a collection that was called Abandoned and Reclaimed Women's Wear. And it was all about making your loved clothes last. And, and that was it. That was, you know, when I kind of entered very much the, the, the sphere of the sort of emerging Um, UK London designers. As a result of that, I then became co-founder and co-curator of Aesthetica at London Fashion Week, which is the British Fashion Council um, sustainable initiative that ran between 2006 and 2014. And then Fashion Revolution. So that's, that's been my journey. But interestingly, from a creative to an activist, very much so. I love that yeah sort of getting from the industry itself to really learn about the problems in it um I guess now we want to hear about what you're working on right now and what you've just created which is a new book called Loved Clothes Last. <laughs> and there you go <laughs> so the 
you know, my my kind of creative journey is still the most important to me. And that's simply because I am a very creative soul. I'm not an, I'm a disorganizer, as I call myself, rather than an organizer. I'm not a strategic person at all. Um, it, it's really about this kind of creative thing that I have inside me. So everything that I do love and the things that I work on, I guess, most spontaneously and naturally, go back to that, go back to that understanding, the design, the love of the fabrics, the love of the clothes. I mean, I can talk about clothes all day long and all night long and so on and so forth. So that's my passion. So obviously Fashion Revolution has put me in touch with a, a whole world of people who want to talk about clothes all the time, which has been, you know, incredibly interesting because I see fashion as a very, very serious industry as well as a very creative industry. So it's difficult to, um, you know, fashion revolution is so multiplicous, you know, we do so many different things. And my love at the minute, I am really enthusing over our initiative Fashion Open Studio, because it's absolutely showing the global talent that we have of designers thinking differently and implementing and embedding you know, innovation and sustainability in all of their practices. But I guess the book is um, obviously something that came as a result of Fashion Revolution, but very much my, you know, 20 years experience, not even a little bit more than 20, in this field. I guess it contains pretty much all of my frustration, but it also contains all of my love. And I am more um, guided by love than I am by frustration. So the tone is one of uh, me sharing my knowledge and my understanding um, because I want people to really understand the fashion industry and not what we're told by the brands or what we read quickly scrolling on, on Twitter or, or Instagram. There's a much deeper and much more profound story to this industry, uh, especially since uh, industrialization. And I try and tell that story because it puts the reasoning behind why we have to change into context. For me, it's very difficult to activate unless you understand why you're activating. So interestingly enough, when my agent quite literally picked me up on Instagram because that's how it all started. Somebody DM'd me and saying, would you like to write a book? And the, her intention was to write a book on mending. And my reply was, well, I'm really not very good at mending at all. Um, so I couldn't quite do a how to mend, but I could do you a brilliant why to mend. So I can tell people the reason why we need to mend our clothing. Not why they need to learn, because I don't necessarily believe that individuals all need to go and learn how to sew for them to show that they're sustainable. I believe that society needs to protect um, those individuals who don't have the time or money to either buy or practice more sustainable um, you know, uh, initiatives or, or practices in their daily life. So the book is not about everybody taking up a needle and thread. Um, the book is just about using your voice and speaking truth to power. And your power could well be your local church, your local gym and your local school, where you can create a whole load of activities that are aimed at making citizens and people understand the importance ultimately 
of longevity. That's really, in a nutshell, what I talk about in the book. Longevity in, in all ways, you know, longevity of a fashion industry that has been incredibly important for millennia, longevity of the clothes that we already own in order to slow down a hyperactive system, longevity of knowledge in order to really embed ourselves with the understanding um, and make changes. So that's it, that's the book. Amazing. I love the idea of love over frustration. I think when you first kind of get knowledgeable about ethical fashion, it's easy to feel just overwhelmed and totally yes. helpless. Um, so it'd be great if you have any maybe tips or advice that you can give us from the book for anyone who's thinking, I need to start caring for my clothes better, but I'm not sure where to start. Well, I mean, the first place to start is your wardrobe. And, you know, I firmly place all wardrobes in the fashion supply chain because that's where they are. I mean, people tend to think of the supply chain as some sort of really far away land, but it's actually in your home. Because every morning or every time we buy and we acquire and we own something, we are responsible for a pretty hefty chunk of supply chain. And that would be use, end of use end of life. So how can you really be responsible for all of your actions and the actions of the people that will come after you um, when you consider your point, your starting point? And just as much as we advocate for transparency in the earlier part of the fashion supply chain, we really should be having transparency on the latter part of the supply chain. And that's where we begin. And so it's a commitment because we can't just imagine that brands will do it. I mean, I firmly place the onus on them, but I mean, do we trust them? No, we don't. So what do you do when you don't trust that something's gonna happen? You make it happen yourself. And so do it. So we start with the clothes that we have in the circumstances that we are in and doing what we can in the ways that we can. And the great thing about fashion is that it's very individual. So it will allow you the understanding to say, I can't do that, actually. Don't give a shit about that. But this is really meaningful to me. You know, everyone has their own entry point. For some people, it's going to be animal welfare. That was really not the one for me. You know, for me, it was all about the love of these beautiful pieces of fabrics that were just, you know, or these beautiful discarded clothes that for me had an absolute, you know, they needed, they, they deserve to live forever or live as long as possible. So find your entry point. What is it? What do you want to change in your life? What is that you can do that is going to be consistent? i.e. not going on a crash diet, that we're not juicing here. We're talking developing new habits that will last for as long as the clothes, you know, as long as you will keep your clothes. So that's my first entry point. That's really what, what everyone can do, actually with a smile on your face. Because if you start to look at your wardrobe like that, even if you're not creative, you will kind of get creative juice thinking because you will think, ah, okay, they tell me that I need to restyle. What does that mean? Shall I go and find out a whole bunch of people that can restyle clothing? Or they tell me that I need to mend and repair. Ooh, maybe I should try this technique or damn it, I'm going to go to my local church and community and school and make repairing workshops and get all of the people in my area that repair a hell of a lot better than I do. So all of these solutions. But the main thing 
that will have to come after, just a little bit after, is knowledge. So if I could have a quid for each time I am asked, is the you know H&M conscious collection ethical or not, or is it good enough or not? So what I always say is that it really does not matter what my opinion is. What matters is your opinion. And if you don't have one, it means you're going to have to go and develop one rather than rely on my views. And that means you study. And that means you give time to this. We're talking about slow fashion, but we're still wanting to get this information fast. Slow even when it comes to the information and follow Google via your gut instincts. I love that. And also the ideas of even if you don't see yourself as a creative person, like I know I, you know, couldn't design a garment and make one, but you're creative in the way that you think about solutions in your own life and really yeah. bringing that fun and, and passion and love to that. And then I guess speaking about that idea of bringing love to like your own wardrobe, one of my favorite fashion revolution campaigns was the fashion love story and about kind of digging out an old garment that you love or you wear a lot and it has a story and you really tell that history of it and that narrative. And we'd love to hear from you, what is your most loved item or items in your wardrobe? And is there a story you can tell there? I couldn't possibly tell you which one was my favorite piece of clothing, even if there was one, because the others would be really offended. So let's not start with that premise. Let's just start with the fact that I am a woman with the most massive, embarrassingly massive wardrobe. Um, it is huge of clothes that are worn in many different occasions, in many different ways. And I couldn't possibly prefer one because I change all the time. And so they fit my preferences in different moments and in different um, you know, situations. But there is, you know, there are a few in my book, there are a few. And I guess um, there is one that's very important to me, which is a dress I am deliberately letting break. There's a whole chunk of my wardrobe, including I think the jumper I'm wearing today. Here you go. So I deliberately let clothes break that I don't want to mend. I mean, some clothes need mending. I, I couldn't agree more. And I get them mended by people who mend better than me. But some clothes utterly deserve the beauty of old age to tell their story. So my actually most elegant evening dress, it's a silk 1940s dress falling apart. Each time I go out, it will develop another breakage. So it's very fragile. It won't last long. But every hole is confidence to me because every hole has a memory and I politically decide not to change it not to alter it just so that to tell that story and it is so elegant so 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 sophisticated I wear it with nothing red nail polish some pearls that's it it's just simplicity itself. My other one, which is really interesting, is again, it's a very old blazer of my mum, which was eaten by moths. And so I started putting badges on the lapels. And that action of putting badges onto the lapel, for some reason, makes me feel decorated. And I feel very powerful when I wear that jacket, to the point that I just did a photo shoot with my, my best friend, who's also the, the person I like to be photographed by. And... Um, my face changed when I put that jacket on. I hadn't realized it. So there's this whole shoot, including the dress that I just mentioned. But when I put this jacket on, 
I am like, you don't fuck with me, baby. And it made me realize the power of fashion. I mean, clothes ought to give you that feeling as a wearer, and they ought to give that power to the people who make them. Yes, I absolutely love the concept of us just reclaiming our damaged clothes. It's, you know, all your clothes do tell a story, but I think the current fashion system has kind of conditioned us not to read that story. Like we just don't want to even open the first page of that book. So why do you think we have in the large part fallen out of love with our clothes? We haven't fallen out of love with our clothes. We've just not been given clothes that, um, we've not been instructed about loving them. Actually, one of the things that makes me the angriest of all is when people say, oh, but fast fashion is so badly made, it's not worth mending it. And brands who kind of say, yep, yep, I kind of agree with you. Yeah, I, I own up, it's not brilliantly made. You know, yeah, it's not worth mending, buy another one. That really angers me. So fast fashion and cheap clothing are not badly made. They are simply made. They don't have the complication of construction that a couture piece from the 1960s will have. But guess what? That makes them even easier to repair. And what about those fabrics? Those fabrics are not lower quality fabrics. Those fabrics are synthetic meaning that they were actually designed to last for bloody ever. So you're not going to tell you're not. don't tell me that fast fashion is bad quality. It's a different quality. It's an inferior quality to the make, and, but it's there to last. And therefore, it is even more our obligation, but not our obligation, the brand's obligation to mend it. I want to see repair station in every fast fashion store and every supermarket maybe every not but in all of the main ones on the high street i want to go to h&m i want to go to zara i want to go to boohoo and pretty little things even if they're online and i want to tell them your choice is making shit clothes that aren't covering the costs of the people who make them and aren't covering the costs for the environment your responsibility is to mend them. It takes about three minutes to pick up a dropped hem from a very simple skirt. How much longer that life of that skirt would be? How much easier the life of the mother who's taking their kid's school uniform to be repaired from the same store that sold her something with flame proofing and, you know, responsibilities responsibilities guys so that's something which I've been and I won't stop campaigning about this and I say it at every single opportunity right now until one day H&M is going to call me and they're going to say okay let's put repair stations in our stores but the other one you know is boohoo and pretty little things and you know blah 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 they can make return that easy you can make repair that easy if you want it you'll do it we want it I think that's brilliant. I love the idea of putting it in supermarkets and getting it for school uniform as well. Stepping back a little bit to look at the wider kind of sustainable fashion ecosystem, how have you found the conversation shifting since you began with Fashion Revolution in 2013? How has the conversation shifted within the sustainable fashion world? 
Well, I mean, there's a whole lexicon that didn't exist and is now wild, widely understood. So in itself, already, we're all speaking the same language to a certain extent. Before, it was like a bunch of dialects and, you know, words that didn't really match. Um, of course, there is, with that, there is also the wrong language being used, greenwashing being rife, as, you know, as we, we said before. But uh, the level of awareness is definitely much higher than it was when when Carrie Summers and I um, founded Fashion Revolution. To be honest, there are political changes, changes in the law, the, the, the French law of diligence, whatever it is that they're trying to do with the with the in, in the EU right now. I'm as you can gather from my you know speaking, I am not in the policy team at Fashion Revolution, very firmly in the creative team. But yes, there's there's changes uh, and there are amelioration. However, it, it's hard to say this now after COVID because COVID really has shown us everything that we've done wrong. And, you know, the, the, the profound inequalities that we face daily and that make us being equally invested in, in the fate of our planet pretty impossible. So obviously not enough has been done. And for me, the biggest shift of all is not in the mainstream. I mean, the mainstream's just not cutting it as far as I'm concerned. They're not doing enough. And even when they talk, they're not giving me the facts and the figures and the accuracy that I crave. You know, I want accuracy. I don't want fuss. I don't want yet another, you know, photoshopped skinny white model with pumped up lips on a zebra scheme. That's the kind of conversation that we're still having. But what has drastically changed is the ones that are coming from the bottom up. So the, the students, the young creatives on a global scale. I mean, we are seeing huge upcycling in India. I mean, that is going to change the world, guys. Sorry. It's not going to happen in the West. It's not going to be my lovely, delicious cohort of, you know, UK upcyclers from Central St. Martins that will change the world. It's not going to be them. It's going to be the brands in Africa. It's going to be the brands in India, in Southeast Asia. These are the massive changes. And again, it's us that aren't complying because we aren't giving them enough visibility. So what we try to do, in particular at Fashion Revolution and, and with our initiative, Fashion Open Studio, which is very much, you know, something I, I, I really am beyond committed to, is that we're trying to change that ratio. So rather than a mentality whereby you upscale a few, to enormous heights and enormous visibility, you replicate hundreds of thousands. Because that's what we need. We need lots of smaller ones sitting alongside these enormous ones. You know, we need that moment in history when the dinosaur starts to collapse and the mammals start coming up. You know, we need that level of visibility and, and, and availability. What brands, what the mainstream brands doing now is that something like 40% of mainstream brands that control 97% of the market. That's denying us choice. So when an H&M or a, you know, Yves Saint Laurent, when they say all oh, this choice, that's not choice. Endless runs of the same thing from Milan to Mumbai is the opposite of choice. That's called an imposition. What is choice is the visibility of thousands 
each and every one with their own signature, their own handprint, their own mini supply chain, their own team, their own people, their own world, systems, collection, whatever it is. That's what we need to do. Yeah, I totally agree. And it is exciting to imagine this, you know, more equitable and creative fashion industry that could one day happen. But as you said, we still have those dinosaurs. They're not going anywhere. So if you could push them to focus on one thing, one thing first, what would you like to see these big dinosaur brands changing? Um, I, I don't believe in the one thing either. I think that it's we need to be a little bit more... Um, you know, it's going to be a different thing for each and every one of them. However, if it was one thing right now, I would say make space. I would say, I mean, you know, empty that massive building that you've got in Oxford Street, pay for its bills, pay for its rates, pay for everything that you can, but populate it with those brands that you know, because they know, you have to give visibility to. And another thing that I actually believe that I was talking the other day on a panel, I was on a panel with uh, the that one of the directors of sustainability for caring. And I said, why does, you know, why do luxury groups buy brands? Rent them instead. So that would be the concept, you know, the same concept that I was saying. Empty your store, make your supply chain available, do it for free. Do it for others to make profit. You know, you're making and you've made enough profits from us over the past 40 years. Time to give back. Absolutely. I love, I think you were sharing on Twitter about kind of what these spaces could become of the big brands that are failing and just the idea of this kind of amazing repair, upcycling, indie brand hub. It's just, it sounds like a utopia, but it's, it's possible if there is the will there. So yeah, I and that's to... that's the thing. I mean, you know, the one thing that I have discovered is that uh, I'm no longer ever afraid of of uh, talking utopia because when I talked about things that are now completely normal, but 20 years ago they were pretty utopic. So I'm, we can talk utopia. Amazing. I wanted to touch on a bit more about what you were saying about, um, you know, brands in the global south being the real kind of champions here. I mean, Fashion Revolution has teams around the world and are really kind of pushing that message of decolonizing the conversation around sustainable fashion. How can we as kind of everyday citizens be a better advocate for a fairer fashion industry that's not just in the global north? You're going to find it really, really difficult, I'm afraid. And that's why, you know, that's where the frustration is. Because, you know, again, it's niched so that rich people like me uh, or wealthy people, you know, people with a with a decent income can spare the time of an evening to discover all these amazing designers in Africa and South America and blah, blah, blah. But if, again, I repeat, I mean, you know, <laughs> 30 years ago, I was in a very different position. I was a single mother with two young girls. And trust me, <laughs> life doesn't work like that when, when you know. So th the truth is that, that's why I believe that the onus is on brands and on society to provide those solutions for those who can't access them at the minute. I mean, the examples I always bring to explain this kind of interdependence between the, the, the way that we operate and what we're expecting in many ways. It's Imagine if you are a, a garment worker in, in, in a 
you know, producing country, you yourself are underpaid, you're not unionized. If you see an environmental injustice happening or an environmental abuse or a social abuse, you can't stand up and say this is happening. But equally, if you are, you know, my next door neighbor or somebody in Peckham, uh, of with a you know or in in anywhere in the world really of a low income, and you go shopping at the supermarket. How on earth can you think about going plastic free? You have got a whole load of different pri priorities in your mind. So it's society that needs to care and protect for everybody and therefore making sustainable choices which are so important for everyone make them available for everyone and and that's the change that needs to happen this is why brands need to let go of their oligopoly this is why government need to start to regulate this industry so that we can really understand ingredients provenance you know and all of these things and when it comes to the you know designers in in designers or creators or renovators, you know, in, in the global south, even more supporting the initiatives that make them thrive. I mean, I remember when the conversation happened around cancelling fashion weeks and, you know, before Corona. And I kind of thought, we're still talking about cancelling our precious fucking selves. But we should be looking at really growing instead the Lagos Fashion Week, the LACME Fashion Week, the, you know, Accra Fashion Week, all of these other entities. That's where we need to put our energies now. And, you know, we, we need to understand that we've, in a way, lost relevance. Finally, <laughs> you know, we have to allow this change of mind that we are not the relevance we are a part of a globe and have a huge hand in this industry and now need to you know improve it on a global scale yeah absolutely and you're right like the choice for everyone right now isn't there but i feel anyway that the knowledge is starting to become more and more accessible for people so yeah. Outside of Fashion Revolution, what other individuals or organizations would you recommend that we start following and getting involved with? Um, again, depending on what kind of an individual you are. I mean, I mean, for me, the most important thing is that anyone that has the power and the time to buy, buys different. So the first thing I say is it starts with yourself. You know, uh, when you want to discover these new brands, for instance, the best way to do it is to not buy to fit your size, but buy to fit your principles. When you're looking for a perfect denim or a perfect shade, don't look at the shade of blue, look at what dye was used to make that blue. Is it a toxic dye or a natural dye? And therefore that in itself will shape, you know, the topics that interest you will take you to the people that are speaking about those topics. I mean, if I need to shout out, which I will, uh, my uh, obviously the the fashion revolution teams globally um, each and every one of those hubs will have their own partners and friends and so if you are in that area they could be a portal to new individuals that maybe I don't have memorized you know all of them my go-to place remains my my friend and colleague Celine Seaman and the Slow Factory 
she's someone that has very profoundly changed my own view. As I know, I sometimes change that of others, but it also happens. She really opened my mind and the very first study hall at which she invited me to be one of the speakers was probably the moment, the one moment that I looked at the whole of the community and everything that was happening and felt, yes, I've landed. This is what I wanted. These are the people I wanted to see in this conversation. These are the conversations I wanted to have. So really chapeau to Celine. She does amazing work. I also recommend following Aja Baba because she's so irreverent and iconoclastic, really, in, in the way that she speaks. I very much enjoy um, her, her work and how she speaks. Um, let me think if there's somebody else that I really, really, because there's so many. I Again, a little bit like with my clothes. I don't quite know. Um, there is so many. and But I'm glad that you mentioned Celine because um, the Slow Factory have just launched their sort of open education yeah. program, which people should definitely check out. And we'll make sure to share a link for that. Yes, she's brilliant, Celine. So last but not least, we are coming up to Fashion Revolution Week in 2021. Another very different one with COVID and everyone at home. So lots of virtual things going on. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what's on the horizon. Well, I guess um, nothing new this year, but very deliberately. So Fashion Revolution has been um, really pioneering certain conversations and we just want to make them deeper. Our theme for 2017 was uh, people and planet. And this year, we our theme for the whole year is rights, relationship and revolution. So it's the rights of people, the rights of nature, their interconnectedness. And in many ways, the word revolution, but also the word evolution that is contained in the word revolution. So it's also a moment for us as we come, you know, this is, this is going to be our eighth year. So we come to take stock of all the things that we've done. And we're a bit hyperactive at Fashion Revolution. Sometimes we do these amazing projects. We put all of our heart and our soul into them. And then once they're done, they're gone. They're for everybody. So we want to look back at some of the things that we've done, some of the most important partnerships and conversations that we've uh, you know, developed over the years and bring them back and, and really say, look, you know, we were starting this. We were wanting to talk about this a while back. And now we can solidify and cement this conversation because now there are the right people the right partners who have also cemented and solidified their journey and their conversations and so we can come together and be even stronger and reach even more people with with these topics and again I bring back Celine because this was from a conversation I had with her quite recently which was one of these mindset changes for me as well. I'm aware of the fact that people think of, uh, you know, interdependence between people and planet and toxicity and transparency. There is a, uh, a way of saying this is complicated. And Celine the other day said, no, it's not. It's actually really simple. And that was a moment for me of, of opening of brain. You're dead bloody right. It is pretty simple. There's an 
awful lot of evidence and an awful lot of information. It may be complicated to access it. It may be complicated for people like us to make sense of it because we've been taught the wrong way for such a long time. But it is easy. So we have to make it easy. And that's what we really want to focus on this year, to get more and more people to understand that it's not actually that complicated. If you put your brains and your soul, it's logical. I love that. That's amazing. And we can't wait for this year's Fashion Revolution Week. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, We're really excited to read your book when it comes out. Me too. Well, I mean, I've read it, but I'm very excited of it coming out. We loved chatting to Ursula and we're sure you'll have enjoyed that as much as we did. I think for me the thing that really stood out is the whole bringing style back into activism. It's so exciting to think that we can actually dress up and dress well to help change the system. And Ursula's book Love Clothes Last is available to buy from the 11th of February and we'll include a link in our show notes to bookshop.org which helps you shop online with independent bookshops instead of Amazon. Also, make sure to put Fashion Revolution Week in your diaries to get involved in the campaign. This year it's running from the 19th to the 25th of April. You can keep up to date with the work of Fashion Revolution by following us on Instagram at fash underscore rev and the Scottish team can be found at fash underscore rev underscore Scotland. So that's it for today and it's also nearly the end of series two. Both Alice and I are really busy and we're in need of a bit of a break to focus on other commitments for now. But we've got one more episode to share with you this series before we have our time out. So make sure to join us next week for another conversation. And as always, you can interact with us on Instagram at Common Threads Podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>